everybody. Welcome to the 56th episode of our World News Podcast. This is going from August 20th to the 28th. Since this is a couple days late, I included some things from this ongoing week. This podcast, along with all of our other news podcasts, are part of Atlas News. Check out the Legal Minds Journal, a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art and culture. Take a look at the journal's Bulletin from the Borderlands, a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyzeeducate, or you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash analyzeeducate. With that being said, we'll head into the news. All right, just a quick note as we get started here, you guys have helped us reach over 18,000 downloads and over 1,300 followers on Spotify, so thank you for that. Looking at Europe and Eurasia in the South Caucasus, again, the state-organized Azerbaijani protesters are still blockading the de facto ethnic Armenian Republic of Artsakh. The Lachkan Corridor, which connects Artsakh and Armenia, runs through Azerbaijani-controlled land and is supposed to be kept open by Russian peacekeepers in the area who have so far failed to enforce ceasefire provisions that ended the Second Karabakh War in 2020. The blockade of the corridor has led to food and medicine shortages in Artsakh. The elderly and pregnant women are the most affected by this blockade. The blockade has gone on for almost eight months, and it shows no sign of ending at this point. Moving on to Russia, the big news of the week. On August 23rd, a private jet crashed in Tver Oblast, killing all 10 people on board. That jet was owned by friend of the show. That is a joke, by the way. Don't take that seriously. Yevgeny Prigozhin, who, of course, leads the private military company Wagner Group, which we've talked about many times before on this show. Prigozhin was on board the plane and perished, according to Russian authorities. Also on board and now dead was Dmitry Utkin, who is the man that actually founded Wagner Group and served as Prigozhin's second-in-command. The jet was flying from Moscow to St. Petersburg, Prigozhin and other Wagner commanders had previously been in Africa and flew back to Russia on the day of his death. This incident came exactly two months after the Wagner mutiny in June, in which Prigozhin and his fighters marched from eastern Ukraine to Moscow Oblast in 36 hours, along the way capturing the headquarters of the Southern Military District in Rostov-on-Don and shooting down seven aircraft in the process. Because of the mutiny and the deal that was made between Prigozhin and Putin to end it, many believe that Prigozhin's jet was brought down by the Russian government. Wagner Group allies believe the same, with popular Wagner-linked telegram channels such as Grey Zone believing that the men were killed by, quote, traitors to Russia. The two prevailing theories right now were that the jet was shot down by Russian anti-aircraft systems. There are seven air defense units in the vicinity of the area. Or the jet was sabotaged with an explosive that was placed on the aircraft and detonated while in the air. The UK Ministry of Defense allegedly believes the former theory, while the Pentagon allegedly believes the latter. Some other men that were on that plane include Valery uh, Chekalov, a.k.a. Rover. The 47-year-old was Wagner's security chief and logistics manager, although he was not a Wagner commander or fighter. We also have uh, Sergei Propostin, a.k.a. Sedar. The 44-year-old was another Wagner commander, but little is known about him. We also have uh, Alexander Tuckman, 30. He was a Wagner commander that had at one point uh, fought in Sudan. And then lastly, you have uh, Yevgeny Makarayan. 
a Wagner commander that joined in 2016 and at some point fought in Syria. Contrary to speculation, other Wagner commanders were not on board the flight at that time. There was a second jet that was flying on the same path at the time. That tail number is RA-02578. That jet turned around and landed in Moscow. Not much is known about it at this time, however. Uh, President Vladimir Putin responded to Yevgeny Prigozhin's death by saying that he was a, quote, talented person and talented businessman. And he had a hard life since the 1990s, making mistakes, but also accomplishing results for the common cause. Putin also referenced his activities in Africa as well. The last known photos of Prigozhin alive have been released. They show him posing with civilians in the Central African Republic, along with Dmitry Suyi, who is the head of the Russian house in the city of Bangui, that is the capital of the CAR. Uh, Suyi handles propaganda and commercial affairs for Wagner in the CAR. Wagner has had a presence there for some time, and Prigozhin recently met with an official from the country during a summit in St. Petersburg between Russia and multiple African nations. During his trip, Prigozhin reportedly met with members of the Sudanese Rapid Support Forces, who we have talked about many times, and with uh, Faustine Arkanj uh, Todera, who is the president of the Central African Republic. Thanks to Cassis Belli and Jack uh, Margolin for that reporting. Think tanks in the U.S. believe that his last trip may have been a last-ditch effort to keep Russian military intelligence, the GRU, from taking over Wagner's operations in Africa. Some in Africa have responded to his death with tones of sadness. Uh, Heritier Doneg, who is the leader of the Pan-African Republican Front movement, called Prigozhin a, quote, friend of the African people in their fight against terrorism and vampirism. End quote. Also, a senior advisor to President Todera said of his death, quote, it's sad news. He saved democracies, so the country's in mourning. But for us, it changes absolutely nothing. We'll continue to have Wagner's on the ground, thanks to our agreement with the Kremlin, end quote. Right now, the future of the Wagner group is unclear. We also have an update on General Sergei Sarvikin, that is the former commander of the Russian Aerospace Forces, otherwise known as the VKS. As you already know, Sarvikin pretty much disappeared after the Wagner Group mutiny in late June. It was theorized that he may have supported Prigozhin's march on Moscow due to their good working relationship and dissatisfaction with Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu and Chief of the General Staff Larry Gerasimov. Well, one day before Prigozhin's death, General Sergeikin was removed from his post as commander of the VKS. Other than that, though, we still really don't know where he is and what he's doing. Looking at the war, uh, Jan Petrovich, who is the co-founder of the Rusic Group, was arrested in Finland on July 20th. His arrest has just been made public. That's why it's in the news right now. Rusic is a Russian neo-Nazi private military company with close ties to the Wagner Group that has fought in Ukraine since 2014. Petrovich has been sanctioned by multiple countries, including the U.S. for his company's role in Ukraine. He is also wanted by Ukraine, which has now formally requested his extradition from Poland. If convicted of crimes in Ukraine, Petrovich faces life in prison. His wife and friends in the private military company have been asking the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs for help securing his release. But on August 25th, uh, Rusic announced that it would end combat operations in Ukraine in protest of the Russian government not providing assistance to Petrovich in their view. 
Moving on to the Indo-Pacific region in Japan, despite the protest of its neighbors, Japan has begun releasing treated nuclear wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant. This move led China to suspend the importation of seafood from Japan. Looking at India, India became the fourth nation to land a spacecraft on the moon. The Chandrayaan-3 landed on the moon closer to the south pole of the moon than any other nation has gotten before. The southern pole is considered key for research into water ice deposits on the moon. It's believed that frozen water on the moon could be converted for use as drinking water or rocket fuel for crew missions in the future. The August 24th landing was a major source of pride for Indians around the world. Over 8 million people turned in live to watch the landing, and after that, there were crowds that came out to celebrate all over India and even in Times Square in New York. All right, moving on to Central Asia in Afghanistan. On the 24th, the Afghan Freedom Front claimed an attack on the Kabul Parwan Gate that they say killed two Taliban fighters and injured five others. So attacks against the Taliban are still ongoing and pretty common. We will take a quick break and we'll be right back with Africa. All right, we're back with Africa taking a look at the situation in Niger. The situation regarding the recent military coup is still very tense. The economic community of West African states, otherwise known as ECOWAS, maintains that it will militarily intervene in Niger if the military junta does not restore President Mohamed Bazoum to power. Negotiations between the two sides to end the dispute peacefully continue but have made little progress. We recently just released an episode on the situation that personally I think is the most detailed breakdown of the Niger coup that you will find in podcast form. If you haven't already given that a listen, go ahead and do so. Leader of the junta, General Abdurrahman Tashani, declared that a transition to civilian rule would take a maximum of three years. He also called on political parties to submit their vision for transition in 30 days. Terrorist attacks have been ramping up in the country that has been long facing Islamist insurgents since the coup happened on July 26. There has been at least eight separate attacks that have killed at least 60 soldiers. Also, the junta has begun to establish a militia with the purpose of defending against ECOWAS. That is the volunteers for the defense of Niger. It isn't clear how many people have signed up for the militia, but hundreds could be seen immediately outside the recruitment center when its doors open on August 19th. Also, Mali and Burkina Faso have sent A-29 Super Tucano planes to support Niger in the event of an armed conflict. The Super Tucano is a Brazilian-made close air support aircraft. Burkina Faso as well has said that it is ready to withdraw from ECOWAS if the alliance invades Niger. should be noted, though, that the country's membership has been suspended since early last year, so that move would mostly be symbolic. Also, the African Union has suspended Niger from all of its bodies until it places President Bazoum back into power. On August 25th, France's ambassador was ordered to leave the country and given 48 hours to do so. France refused, saying that it does not recognize the legitimacy of the junta. Now the ultimatum has expired and it isn't really clear how the junta will respond. French President Emmanuel Macron also said on the 28th today that France would support an ECOWAS military operation. 
along with the expulsion of France's ambassador, documents circulated claiming that the ambassadors of the U.S., Germany, Nigeria, and the Ivory Coast were ordered to leave Niger as well. Those documents have been confirmed to be fake by the foreign ministries of those nations and the junta, however. Thanks to the reporting of Cassis Belli on Twitter, we now know that Abba Usafu, the son of former President Mohamedou Usafu, was looking to invest in the national oil company Petro Niger in some capacity, but was denied by President Bazoum. The former president tried to discuss his son's ambitions with President Bazoum, who again denied him. Cassis believes that Usafu played a large role in the July coup. It will be interesting to see if there's any additional updates on those claims because that is a that is a pretty heavy accusation. Moving on to Sudan, fighting between the Sudanese armed forces and the rapid support forces continues. The war has so far forced 4.4 million people from their homes. One million of those have fled to other countries. Additionally, fighting has killed between. 4,000 and 10,000 people. Fighting also continued in the capital city of Khartoum this past week with the RSF attacking the SAF military stronghold of Al-Shajara. Both sides claim victory in that assault. Again, you should take the claims from both sides with a massive grain of salt because they really like to embellish and it's just hard to tell what exactly is going on. Also, Major General Yasir uh, Fadala, commander of the 16th Infantry Division, was killed on August 21st, it isn't clear who exactly killed him. The SAF says that he died in the line of duty in Niala, but Al-Hadath TV claims that he was killed by a member of his division. Right now, we still don't know exactly what happened. Moving on to South Africa, of course, the country held the BRICS summit this past week. And the big news out of the summit is BRICS has invited applicants Argentina Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates to join the alliance. President Ramaphosa of South Africa says that their membership will begin on January 1st next year. If true, that means BRICS will have six of the world's nine largest oil producers. And again, that was really the big news that came out of that summit. Moving on to America's uh, Bulletin from the Borderlands, we have a special report out on the BRICS summit and some implications it could have for Latin America. So I suggest you go ahead and read that. That was a pretty good report that was done in collaboration with uh, Ricky Nomics over on Instagram and also with the Aegis group. Looking at the U.S., we got our presidential race updates. Looking at the polls, these are all averages from 538. Biden's approval is at 41 that remains the same from last week his disapproval is at 54 which is down one percent trump's favorability is at 40 that is up one percent from last week his unfavorability is at 56 remaining the same democrat primary uh biden is at 65 remains the same from last week rfk jr is at 12 he is down two percent and the Republican primary, of course, this comes after the uh, first Republican presidential debate, primary debate, I should say. Uh, Trump is at 52%. He is down two. DeSantis is at 14. He is down one. And Vivek Ramaswamy is at 10%. He is up by two from last week. On August 24th, Trump turned himself into the Fulton County Jail in Georgia in relation to the case against him that we spoke about in the last episode. Trump was 
arrested and he had his mugshot taken, the first for a U.S. president. There's actually a lot of debate about whether it was smart to take Trump's uh, mugshot or not, because that will probably be one of the most popular mugshots in in all of human history. And uh, he really used that to his advantage in his presidential race, uh, raising over $7 million ever since that mugshot was taken. So after he was arrested, Trump appeared in front of a judge and was released after posting a $200,000 bond throughout the week. Uh, 17 of the other 18 defendants in the case surrendered, were arrested, and later released on bond. There is one defendant who is still currently in jail. This includes uh, former lawyers Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and also former uh, chief of staff for the White House, Mark Meadows. Also, we have an update on his January 6th case in Washington, D.C. The judge has ordered that the trial will begin on March 4th next year, which is one day before Super Tuesday. For those that don't know what Super Tuesday is, that is when Alabama, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, and Virginia all have their primary elections. So that is uh, probably not something that Trump wants to be sitting in a trial for. But I know he's been trying to uh, get that delayed. We'll see if he has any luck with that. Moving on, the Marine Corps is set to acquire three batteries worth of Israeli-made Iron Dome short-range air defense systems. This includes 44 launchers and about 1,840 interceptor missiles. The Iron Dome has been used to great effect by Israeli forces to shoot down incoming rockets and mortars from Palestinian armed groups in Gaza and the West Bank. The Marines plan to buy the associated logistics and technical support mechanisms as well. They plan to use the Iron Dome to protect against cruise missiles, drones, mortars, and artillery. The cost of the acquisition isn't clear right now, but the interceptor missiles alone could cost $200 million. Moving on, we have an update for the Lahaina wildfire. 388 people remain missing, according to a report from the AP survivors say that the local highway, which was the only paved road leading in and out of Lahaina, was barricaded by law enforcement when the fire first started, who apparently forced people to turn around and take Front Street, which is an unpaved road going through Lahaina that led to a massive bottleneck with vehicles being surrounded by smoke and flames on both sides. Uh, Nathan Bard, who is a survivor, said that authorities were directing people to the town's civic center instead of evacuating Lahaina when the fire was going on. He says that his family survived by driving past a barricade on the highway. Those that were surrounded by the fire on Front Street were forced to ditch their vehicles and jump into the ocean to escape. When Coast Guard vessels came to pull them out, they had to guide the vessels in with cell phone flashlights. As we previously reported, emergency sirens were not activated before the fire engulfed the town, nor did residents receive text messages or any other sort of phone notifications. And county authorities were also very slow to update social media pages with warnings as well. Moving on, on the 24th, a U.S. Marine Corps F-18D Hornet fighter jet crashed in a remote area of Marine Corps Air Station Miramar while on a training flight. Unfortunately, the pilot did pass away after ejecting from the jet. That pilot is Major Andrew Mettler, assigned to Marine All-Weather Fighter Attack Squadron 224 with the 2nd Marine Air Wing out of Marine Corps Air Station Beaufort. 
The squadron is currently in Miramar to participate in service level training exercise 5 TAC-23. Major Mettler was commissioned in the Marines in 2007. His awards include the Navy and Marine Corps Commendation Medal with a Gold Star, Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal with a Gold Star, and the Afghanistan Campaign Medal. The cause of the crash is still under investigation. And then on the 26th, a MV-22B Osprey crashed on Melville Island, Australia, killing three Marines and injuring another 20 on board. The Marines were assigned to Marine Rotational Force Darwin and were taking part in Exercise Predators Run. Five of the injured Marines were taken to the hospital in serious condition. Three of them remain, with one still in critical condition. The Marines that were killed in the crash were identified as Corporal Spencer Collart, 21, of Arlington, Virginia, Captain Eleanor Laboo, 29, of Belleville, Illinois, and Major Tobin Lewis, 37, of Jefferson, Colorado. They were assigned to Marine Medium Tilt Rotor Squadron 363, 1st uh, Marine Air Wing out of Marine Corps Base, Hawaii. Corporal Collar was the aircraft's crew chief. Captain Labu was the pilot, and Major Lewis was the squadron's executive officer. The other Marines that were on board the Osprey were from VMM 363 and 3rd Battalion 1st Marines from Camp Pendleton. And on the 28th, a police rescue helicopter suffered a mid-air incident in Pompano Beach, Florida, causing the tail rotor to break off from the rest of the aircraft. The helicopter landed on a building, resulting in the deaths of two people and injuring four others. The pilot has been identified as Broward County Sheriff's Office Captain Terrison Jackson. The other casualties were in the building at the time of the crash, but have not yet been identified and last story we got this week, an investigation has been launched by U.S. and Mexican authorities after a National Guardsman from Texas shot and wounded a man on the Mexican side of the border. The soldier was deployed to the border as part of Texas's Operation Lone Star. Two unnamed CBP officials told the Wall Street Journal that the man was shot while he attacked a group of migrants with a knife. But according to Mexican outlet, El Diaro, the man claims that he was, quote, playing sports as a group of migrants attempted to cross the Rio Grande near him when he was shot. He was taken to the hospital and later released in Mexico. Officials from the Texas Military Department and the Department of Public Safety confirmed the incident occurred, but they have not yet offered any details. That is all I have for you guys. I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. Of course, it means a lot to me. You could find this on your favorite apps. That includes Spotify. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. We are also on Telegram at Analyze and Educate. Please consider supporting us on Patreon again at patreon.com slash Analyze Educate or at ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash Analyze and Educate. Please be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app used to listen to this podcast. That is all I have for you guys. We will see you soon.